Amen. Wow. Have you ever asked your kids to help you do anything around the house? <laughs> I've got an eight-year-old, a six-year-old, and a four-year-old. And I know I've got to include them in the projects at my house because I need to teach them how to do it right, not wrong, allow they're naturally programmed to do it. And I know it'd be a lot easier for myself just to do it myself, but instead I co-op with them and I teach them. Have you ever asked your kids to help you wash the car? <laughs> oh, man. Not only is it dirtier than when you started, but it's scratched and the brushes go on the ground, pick up the rock. A... I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. God asks you and I to walk alongside of him. And then he comes into our situation as messed up and scratched and dirty as it is. And he does so on purpose because of his great riches. He can actually afford it. He invites you and he woos you. He says, come on in. I know you're going to make everything messy and everything crazy, but I'm going to provide for all of your needs. And Paul helps us to understand that we are like those little kids that come into that story and that situation, and we have nothing to offer. And he lays that foundation so well because of our carnality and our sin, our alienation from God because of our rebellious heart. Anybody have a rebel heart here? Just creeps up. You see the speed limit and you're like, well, there's no cops around. I remember when I was a kid, my mom's sitting here in the back. When I was a kid, I was about 17, and I was taking a road trip to Bend. And so I asked a friend of mine, hey, do you have one of those fuzz busters, one of those radar detectors? And so I got it all set up in my car, and, and I just wasn't even thinking about it. It was in my car. I'm getting ready to go to Bend, and my mom comes out to my car to say goodbye and maybe give me some, some cookies or something, and, you know, give me a kiss. And she's like, what's this thing on your dash? And I was like, oh, that just tells me where the cops are in case I, in case I need one. You know, and, and we just kind of looked at each other and like, yeah, yeah, sorry, I don't know. And Man, we don't, we naturally are programmed to be rebellious until we find ourselves walking in the fruit of our own rebellion. And the fruit of our own rebellion is death, it's carnality, it's sin. We are, we're separated from God. We are dead in trespasses. Look at verse five, this is where we'll begin today. He says, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. This is such good news for the world today. Even Paul, Paul interrupts this death story by saying, but God, who's rich in mercy with his kindness and love and goodness, made us alive. But he made sure to underscore one more time that it was when we were dead. It wasn't when we were going to church that God saved you. It wasn't when you were doing your own things for the Lord, trying to be spiritual, that God intervened. It was when you were at your lowest point that the Lord got off his throne in heaven and sought the world below on earth. And I'll tell you what, you need to know that. Because if you're a Christian here, and most of you probably are, you have bad days. You have those days where you maybe have been back to that rebel heart. You pulled out the fuzz buster and put it back on the dash. Uh, I'm doing, you know, I'm doing it my way today. And, and you might think, oh, the Lord's got to be so disappointed in me today, so disappointed in my rebel heart. Listen, if the Lord died for you when you had no heartbeat, how much more so is he committed to your excellence in your struggles to keep that heart beating for him? Even in your worst day, the Lord's grace and mercy is still rich and overflowing and applicable to your account. No matter what you do, the Lord is God and Savior of your life. So there's just this perversity within us that wants to co-op with our salvation experience. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, man, Lord, man, I was so dead. And then you saved me. Uh, can I be part of the team now? Can, can I drive a little bit? And can I? And I'll tell you what, it's just this weirdness within, just like Satan has sowed that seed that wants to be a little bit like God and get a little bit from God. You were totally dead, totally busted, and totally shipwrecked. That's good news for those of you who are Christians. It's great news for your who not Christians. Okay, the world around us is, is suffering so bad, and the Lord says, yeah, I died for them. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. Did you know that when Jesus was concepted, that is, at his conception with the Holy Spirit and Mary, that Gabriel was the angel who came to Mary and said, hey, I know you're not married. I know you're real young. I know you're nobody special. I know you live in a small Middle Eastern culture. I know the internet hasn't even been invented yet. I know you got all that going against you, but it's the time. It's the time. It's the time now that God is going to send his son, the Savior, and you're going to be the vehicle that he's going to come through. And when he's born, you're going to name him something. His name's Jesus, which wasn't just a random arbitrary name, okay? It's a very common name in that day, Joshua in our day, but it wasn't something he picked out of nowhere. It means Yeshua, Jesus, Jehovah. God is our salvation. When did he come to Mary? When Rome was in control, when the Jews had through centuries and centuries and centuries done it their own way and gone away from God. And it's in that time that God went to seek and to save the lost, yourself, myself included. I'll tell you what, when you stop and just revel at this, look in the mirror later today and consider yourself that rebel, that sinful person that the Lord said, yeah, I'm going to go change their life. It's not about them. It's not about you. It's, it's about me. It's, a, the, it's the work of God. Everyone say work of God. God. It's the work of God. He says it even when we were dead in trust. God does so much with so little. How many of you guys have just a very little bit to give to the Lord today? Just a very little bit. Man, I don't, I don't have much. Man, it's going to be a horrible day. You know, I didn't get enough sleep, and I didn't read enough Bible, and I didn't do enough this, and man, I... Listen, there's a story in the Old Testament, 2 Kings, right on 2 Kings chapter 4. And in 2 Kings chapter 4, there's a widow who has nothing left to her name. As a matter of fact, the collection agency is coming to take her house. CDS is on the way to take the kids. And I'll read it. And all she has is a little bit of oil. And Elisha shows up. Maybe you've heard the story. Elisha shows up and she's ready to do herself in suicidal tendencies. And she, he asks her, what do you have, woman? She said, all I got is a little bit of oil, just a small amount. And he said, oh, perfect. Here's what I want you to do. Go get some vessels, some empty Starbucks cups. Go get some five-gallon buckets. Get whatever you can. Read the story, 2 Kings 4. Go get all, and she goes to her neighbor's house and borrows their vessels and their pots. And she brings all this stuff, and they're empty. All she has is a little bit. And Elisha says, now watch this. And he takes that oil. Miracle of miracles, showing and illustrating God's power. And he begins to pour the little bit of oil into the biggest bucket. Fills the bucket up, goes to the next one, keeps, keeps pouring, keeps pouring. Oil in that day was very precious. It's still precious in our days, but it wasn't easily came upon in that day. Fills up every vessel in her house, tells her, oh, oh, oh miracle. When there's no more vessels to fill, the oil stops pouring. All that she had given to the Lord was empty buckets and a little bit of oil. And the Lord multiplied it and was able to provide. And he was then instructed her, now sell the oil, pay your bills, feed your kids, and live your life. I'm serious. This message of Ephesians is for you and I to just give to the Lord a little bit of our oil, a little bit of our prayer, a little bit of our lives, just a little bit. 
So many people even today are stagnated in the pews. We don't have pews, but in the chairs. Stalemated in their lives because you're waiting for you to get your own buckets filled. I got to get a few things right first before I come to the Lord. And I got to figure this out. I got to quit smoking before I can start serving. I got to quit this swearing before I can start reading. Luke asked us to pray 15 minutes per day. Man, I cuss 15 minutes per day. That's easy, you know. I got to wait. I can't pray. I got to get. What? When you, when you give to the Lord your little bit, okay, you win. Because you co-op then as a co-heir with Christ, with his riches, his forgiveness, and his love, and his kindness, okay? This morning I would ask you, do you have anything to offer the Lord at all? Your will or your heart, your life, anything at all, even just surrender. I'm just going to surrender. I don't even know what to do. I'm going to surrender, though, to the Lord. And a lot of people imagine that God loves us because we're lovable, because we're perfect, because we've got it all figured out, okay? God loves you because God is love. It's not me. It's not because you are attractive, because you're perfect, because you're worth it. It's not that at all. And so when you're unattractive and when you're not worth it and you're not perfect, you need to understand that God hasn't changed. He is still love and loving those around him who would just say, I am broken. I am lost. I am up the creek and no paddle. And the Lord intervenes on those. Here's the deal. God's love is so great that it extends even to the unlovely. As a matter of fact, verse 3, the one that preceded verse 4, it says that we were children of wrath. Let's just consider that. Children of wrath. I mean, is that the kind of people you want to love and adopt? You go to the adopted agency. Do you have any children of wrath? I just would like to bring them into my house. It sounds like a good idea. <laughs> you wouldn't. I, God does. God so loved the, the crazy world. He said, yeah. It's, it's so gnarly right now with Rome there and the Jews here and everything crazy. Jesus, now's the perfect time to go reconcile and ransom the world. Every reason for God's mercy and love, listen, is found in him. Okay, we give him no reason at all to love us, yet in the greatness of his love, he still loves us with that great love anyways. Do you know that? You, you give him no reason to love you. I, we, to be honest with you, I don't even believe it. I just, in my mind, I don't believe it. I love approaching God when I'm doing great, when I'm having fun, when I'm killing it. Oh, I'm gonna read, it's gonna be good today. I'm gonna pray, God's gonna hear my prayers today. But when I'm stressed and lashing out and stressing out or when I'm behind or when I'm critical or when I'm fearful, oh, I gotta get my act together before I approach the Lord. How satanic. For us to believe a lie like that, it was when we were dead that Christ came into our situation. Wouldn't it be radical if we trained our mind, changed our minds to believe that when we are doing bad and at our worst on any given day, oh, now is the time to have that 15 minutes of prayer. Now is the time to approach the Lord because I am needing it so badly right now. As opposed to, I got to sleep this off, got to give me a day or two, got to walk away from this sin and make sure I have a, a couple hours or a couple days of success before I raise my hands again. Be careful, careful. You're putting a lot on yourself at that point to sanctify and to save. Why does God do it? He does it because of his great love. And how does he do it? Because he's rich in mercy. <laughs> 
Uh, you and I, we ebb and flow. Our balances go up and down. God is not broke nor stingy. Okay, remind yourself of that. He's not broken. He's not stingy. You are. I am too. So don't ask me for a lot. Okay, listen. <laughs> he does this for those who are dead in trespasses and sins. So we got to stop trying to, I'm just going to say it. We got to stop trying to make ourselves more lovable to God. Okay, and simply listen, receive his great love while recognizing that we're unworthy of it. I'm not kidding you. Go find him today. Not because you're lovely, but because he wants to love you. And in that process, he'll make you lovely from the inside out. He'll begin to then squeeze you so hard love comes out, okay? It's a good thing. We'll get there in verse 10 in a little bit. But I want you to understand it's not about you. This is the work of God that he does to us. As a matter of fact, if you outline your Bible, this would be the work of God for us, uh, verses 4 through 7. He does it for us. And then verses 8 through 9, he does it in us. In verses 10, he does the work through us. Look at verse 6. Let's keep moving along. This is kind of where we left off last week. It says, and he raised us up together. Not only did he come down and seek us when we were dead, but he raised us up. That's spiritual resurrection. In our hearts, we've been resurrected, reborn, born again. And he raised us up together, and he made us sit together in the heavenly place places in Christ Jesus. And last week I talked about this as possibly one of the primary reasons why Jesus came into the world to seek and to save the lost, to raise you up, to change your heart, to rekindle relationship with the Father and with the Son and with the Holy Spirit. A lot of us understand right away that God wants us to work with him and co-op for him and do things in his name. That makes a lot of sense to most of us. Some of us, though, check out very quickly at the fact that God actually, believe it or not, just kind of digs you. He just likes you. He just enjoys your presence. He actually enjoys your quirkiness, and he enjoys your personality, and enjoys your things that he's put. He just wants, and the reason I say most of us don't think about this very often is because most of us are just doers. We just do stuff. Let's do stuff for the Lord. Raise your hand if you're a man here. Okay, most men are just doers. We, we do stuff. We do stuff, and most men's relationships are kind of founded around men-on-men men men relationships. Like, just do stuff. Hey, you want to go do something? I'm not going to sit there and talk with you. Let's go do something, then we'll talk while we're doing stuff. And a lot of us just do stuff together. God says, hey, I just, I like that, and I've made you that way, but I like to just be with you. I really just enjoy. I remember when I uh, first got married. On our marriage day, my wife's in the back there, and we're married 15 years now in June, so it worked out in the end. I'm going to tell you the story, but it worked out in the end. We're still good. <laughs> but on our wedding day, as we're leaving the facility where we got married at, the Ashton Christian Fellowship, driving away on the best day of our lives, before we even got to the exit to I-5, before we even got there, my wife was in tears already because she was so stoked. That we were married. We, we're, we're together now. This was the bullseye. This was the place to be. We're together. My bullseye was where we were staying the night. <laughs> Where's the directions? Where do I go? What exit do I take? And I kept barking these, I, I need to know. Is it? Well, I, didn't, I didn't, this is before iPhones and MapQuests and all the rest. And I just remember looking at my wife with tears. I'm like, oh no, she's crying already. <laughs> See, as a man, I'd missed it it was the best day ever. Just be together. Just be together. When you realize this, look at verse six again. He says, he's raised us up together and he made us sit together in heavenly places. Did you know that you have access right now to the sweetest spot and the sweetest thing and the sweetest place in the entire world? You have access to it. 
You have a free, free pass. You have a bracelet. You have access. You have a VIP necklace. You have a chip. You have every, whatever you, you need to get in the door. I wonder how many of us exercise that freedom to just go be with the Lord. Or are we sometimes just going to our next destination? For the Lord, with the Lord, by the Lord, you fill in the blanks. Last night I got a chance to put my kids to bed as early as possible. The sun was still up. And I came down the stairs and I put on as many clothes as I could find. I said, honey, I'm just gonna, I gotta go. I just gotta go connect with the Lord. I'm gonna go watch a sunset. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna go. And as I went and found a spot, this little secret spot there, I sat down, I watched the sunset. And it was about 23 degrees below zero. <laughs> Wind coming off it. I was ready. I was gonna connect with the Lord. And as I watched the sun setting there, just the sun was real big and it's slow going down. All I just was thinking 93 million miles away, just meditating on God's glory. 93 million miles away. No wonder I can't feel it right now. It's too far. It's, and as it went down, I just, be, I just worshiped the Lord in his presence. Just touched him, tapped into him, just enjoyed him, started laughing. 93 million miles away. That's so far. Worshiping him, just wow, in awe of who he is. And I'll tell you what, he's raised us up together and he sat us together. And as humans, you are pre-engineered to need to experience great things, to enjoy at levels that our culture is still pushing the envelope, isn't it? Oh, we can do it more. What if we did it this way? What if we filmed it? What if we YouTubed it? You know, how can we make it better? The greatest experience, the greatest enjoyment is by the one who actually made the planets. It's not something that he's given to us to do on our own, but it's himself as a person. And I don't know how many of us really get this. You have access to the Father. You were separated in the garden, Genesis 3. Oh, Adam and Eve, they bombed out. And God had to get them out of the garden. And there was separation. And God promised, I'll send, though, my seed to crush the serpent's head in order that we might find ourselves having fellowship again. Why is that? I just need you to... That sunset I saw last night, I was by myself. You ever seen a sunset by yourself? You ever seen a sunset with somebody else? It's, it's more fun with somebody else. Most of us, when we experience something great, whether it's a walk in the woods or an experience that is amazing, we want to, you know this, oh man, I wish so-and-so were here. I wish they would experience it with, so too God loves you and loves to experience experience his creation with more and more people. He's made you to do life with you. If you're not careful, you'll just do life for him as a good legalistic Christian, but you'll miss the sweetness of ministering with him and to him. God created heaven for you and for me and because of his great love and mercy, he paid for our sins, and he made a way for us to join him there, but to enjoy him here as well. There's no, there's no greater illustration than what I see in Exodus 33. Some of you know the story. In Exodus 33, God had delivered the children of Israel from bondage in Egypt, and he was navigating them through the wilderness wandering. Forty years they spent in the woods with him. And as they went through, you know all the stories. There's crazy stories in the book of Exodus and Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And as they navigated through, there was often rebellion and kickback and fighting. And so at one point, God says this. He says, you know what? I'm committed to you. I'm going to send you into the promised land. You know why? I promised. 
<laughs> you're going into the promised land, but I'm going to send an angel before you, and he's going to fight for you and provide. It's going to be amazing beyond your wildest dreams. I'm just not going, Exodus 33, right around verse 5. I'm just going to, I'm going to take care of you, but man, I'm not going. You know what Moses said to that promise? Moses said, whoa, whoa, whoa. If you don't go, I don't go. I don't want to go into the promised land and have experiences and have wealth and have power and prosperity. <laughs> if I can't have you, we would rather stay in the woods. We would rather stay in bondage. We would rather, his point was, and the word he used is presence. I'm not going to go anywhere where your presence is. I'm not going to settle for an experience lesser than or take me here, or promise me this. If it doesn't have you involved, and I would just say this, God has given to you and me his presence. And there's people here this morning that are clamoring for the next greatest thing the next greatest relationship, the next greatest gadget, the next greatest experience, the next greatest power play. Oh, this will do it. That will, God's given to you himself right now. He says, have those relationships and have those experiences and, and get that stuff. That's fine, but do it with me. Otherwise you're doing it wrong. And in verse six, he helps us to understand that he has saved us to be with us. Look at verse seven. He goes on. This is the work of God uh, in us. It says that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Man, God says, I'm going to do an amazing thing in you, an amazing thing with you, and then I'm going to actually display you like that sunset last night to show my greatness through you. How many of you guys like to brag about what you do? Raise your hand real high. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. Thank you. Don't be embarrassed. This is church. <laughs> you guys make that cheese quesadilla, man. You take a foodie pick. It's on Facebook. We see it. You know what I'm saying? Like, you build the fence psh, on Facebook. We see it. You all like to brag about what you do. Look at this. Look at that. I'm right there with you. Okay, I'm right there. Did you know that that's a natural tendency that God has too? You and I, we have sinful inclinations and desires, and we are out of control. God says, no, I actually like to build stuff, make stuff, do stuff on purpose. It's to display and to dispense and to detail the glory of God. What you like to do when you take that selfie pic, when you, you, know, when you do that, when you, you're showing a little bit of what God likes to do in your life. I, I don't know if you know that. Verse 7 again. It says that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus, okay? God likes to show off just like you and I do. Think about this. God right now would say to the angels in heaven, to the people around, you want to, want to see how great I am? Want to see what I've made? Go to South Beach Church. Even this morning, just sitting in the back there, wondering if I should stay at church or go home. I was like, oh, there's a lot of people here. Way too many to go home. Way too many people. Oh, who are all you guys? <laughs> and the Lord is raising people up and drawing people to himself on purpose to show his craziness. There's no explanation to the things that God does except to show his goodness. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 9, Jesus and his boys were walking. And they saw a guy that had a hard life handed to him at birth. He was born blind. And right away, the disciples wanted to throw somebody under the bus who's at fault. And so they asked Jesus, did he sin? Did this guy sin in the womb? I don't even know how that's possible. Is this blindness this guy's fault or did his parents do something stupid that he was cursed and born blind? That was their conclusion. Why would life be tough for somebody? Why would there be an issue or a difficulty? 
And Jesus looked at them and said, neither this man nor his parents sinned. Not that they were sinless, but the point that this guy was born this way, blind from birth, had nothing to do with their sin. Jesus fills in the blanks then. He says, this guy's imperfection, this guy's challenge and situation was designed and crafted by God in order to display his glory in order to show the very works of God, in order to start Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. God wanted to show himself on behalf of his own power through the people of this world. And I'll tell you what, God uses people like me and people like you, and he heals from the uttermost to the guttermost. And God then began to heal that man in John chapter nine. The Pharisees didn't like it, by the way. Who did this to you? This guy named Jesus. All I know, verse 25 of John chapter 9. <laughs> Look, man, I was blind, now I see. It's kind of radical. Like, I'm cheering, I'm, I'm shouting about this. What has happened to me has been reversed for God's glory. And I'll tell you what, you don't deserve it, but God still serves it because grace changes everything. And uh, did you know that God is actually looking for some people right now who don't have any idea what they're doing to show his power through? I'm serious. Right now, you're like, man, I got to figure this out so I can get some of God's power. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, that's George DeSoto right there. Okay? And God has radically changed George DeSoto's life. Radically. Radically. And George DeSoto and I, we don't know what we're doing together for a, while, a long time. And God looks for people, and he says, yeah, I'd like, to, I'd like to display my kindness and my riches through your life. I'm going to use you. And you may have a few things together. You may be doing good, but listen, there are areas in your life right now that you're overwhelmed, that you're trumped, and you don't know what to do. And God says, perfect, would you just obey? Would you just listen? Would you just do exactly what I do? And sometimes God will often bring you lower before he brings you higher. Okay? How many? I like the higher part, but the lower part, that's tough. I feel like I'm in the woodshed. Feel like I'm in trouble, feel like I blew it. Can I even get out of this? Okay, when you read the Bible, it's full of stories where God says, No, I'm gonna take you low on purpose because I'm gonna do something so great in you, so great through you, so great for you that at the end, I don't want you to be confused of how it happened. This is part of your story. And I always tell people the darker your story, the greater God's glory. Remember the story of Gideon, Judges chapter 7? Raise your hand if you know the story of Gideon, okay? 38 of you, good. <laughs> and in Judges chapter seven, you know the story, Gideon is hiding, threshing wheat, and God calls him, and God calls what he will be, not who he is. He says, oh, Gideon, mighty man of valor. And Gideon's like, is there another Gideon here? Because I'm hiding, you know what I'm saying? I'm scared, I'm not the guy you're looking for. And the God looks at him and says, oh, no, no, you're the guy. And through a series of prayers and events, he calls him to lead them, the armies of Israel. Gideon does. And so Gideon surmasses the armies together against their enemies that were encamped around them. And he surmasses an army of 32,000 warriors. And as they're about to battle, they're going to go against 135,000 people that have marched against God. Okay, the odds are against them. This is an epic battle for sure. And God's using Gideon, even though he was fearful, even though he was hiding, even though he didn't want to be chosen, God chose him. But before the story gets even better, God tells Gideon, he says, Gideon, you've got 32,000 lokes, 32,000 warriors and homies. That's too many. What's going to happen is, is I'm going to give you the victory, and you're going to think that you did it. 
So I want you to go to your crew and tell them, if anybody here is afraid, you have my permission to go home. <laughs> so he goes to these warriors. If anybody's afraid, you can now go home. 22,000 people, peace out. They're like, yeah, I'm afraid. You know, they all leave. Okay, read the story, Judges chapter 7. He has 10,000 people left. 10 to 1 odds, 10 to 7, 10,000 guys against 135,000, and God comes to Gideon. In order to get the story right, he says, Gideon, good job, but you still got too many. Too many got, Lord. You have too many guys. And so he challenges Gideon. He says, take him to the brook known as Gideon's Brook now. I've been there a couple times. It's just some water that flows. He says, go there and tell the guys to take a drink. And if certain guys drink on their knees and pick the water up, okay, label those guys. And if other guys get on both knees and get down like this, that's what he says, read it. <laughs> grab the guys that grab the water and put it up to their lips. And the guys that got down on all fours and drank like dogs, tell them, go home. He's thinking, okay, it'll probably be half and half. As they do this, only 300 dudes picked up, and 9,700 guys got on their hands and knees, got their beards all wet, <laughs> had to put their knives down, had to disengage from battle, whatever the case is. Anyways, anyways, 300 guys are left, and Gideon's like, okay, I see your point now. This is suicidal. I see, this is, okay, we're just going to give, oh, you want us to die, got it. And oftentimes in our lives, God says, hey, it's going to go low before it gets better. And it might get so bad that it becomes actually impossible. Did you know that to beat 135,000 men with 300, each guy would have to kill 450 soldiers and still not be killed? Okay, just get crazy. Think about it a little bit. Killing 450 guys would kill you in and of itself. It's so, basically, it's impossible. It's impossible. Don't raise your hand right now. But how many of you have walked through or maybe are living or know somebody with an impossible story, an impossible situation. There's just no, there's no way. There's just, there's, things just fell apart. Emergency, destruction. The Bible says in Luke chapter two, with God, all things are possible. But here's the crazy story. God is using this as an illustration to display his kindness, to show his handiwork. Look at what's going on in their lives. And Gideon marches to battle. And here's the action plan, okay? If you're Gideon with 300 guys, like, okay, God's going to give us a nuclear weapon. This is how it's going to work. He's got some, this is going to be, uh, you know, Indiana Jones. Something's going to, a holy grail, something. Lord, what's the plan, God? He said, okay, I want everyone to get a pot, like a clay pot. Okay, pot, right, and a light, a torch. And I want you to take that torch, and I want you to put it inside the pot, and I want you to take the 300 guys and disperse them so they're all alone, not together, but alone around the mountainside where these enemies are encamped. And take your pots. And all the, all the soldiers are like, can I join that fearful crowd again? <laughs> Here, watch me drink water like a dog. It's cool, you know, whatever. <laughs> Everyone go to their outpost. And then on the count of three, when you hear the, the charge, Everyone take out a stick and crack their pot. Break it 
and begin to scream and get, begin to worship and declare the power of God. And when they did that, imagine 300 guys on the hills and they screamed and worshiped the Lord and began to chant. The enemy below woke up from their stupor and saw 300 torches. And the story goes that they began to think that each torch represented a thousand guys. And they thought to themselves, 300,000 soldiers have come upon us. And they gave in and took off and they won the victory and Gideon charged and he led the Lord's people to victory. And God saw at the beginning what the end was going to look like. And he said, no, you, trust me, 10,000 guys, too many. 32,000, way too many. Swords, yeah, probably won't even need those either. What I need though is I need a few cracked pots to shine through. Pretty cheesy. <laughs> but it's true. It's absolutely true. Yesterday as we walked in the parade, I was on a skateboard. And I just thought, this is ridiculous. This is re why I'm on a skateboard. I'm like almost 40. And here we are in the parade with Jesus' real shirts. And I know who I am better than y'all ever know. And I know I'm a cracked pot just like y'all. And here we are saying, it's not about us. Jesus is real. And I'm the least likely to be in the parade representing Jesus Christ, just so you know. The least likely to be on a skateboard at age 38 almost. <sighs> Why? To display and to dispense and to show God's kindness. And next time you feel like a cracked pot, like your light's a little dim, like you're outnumbered or outgunned, or, man, I just, I don't know. I don't know. Okay, let the Lord use you. Matter of fact, I don't want you to miss this. Keep going with me. He goes on, verses 8 and 9, to say, It's for by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Are you for real? He underscores this so heavily. He says, guys, man, it's, you were dead. God's riches, his mercy, he made alive. He wants to be with you and he wants to display you. Oh, and it wasn't even you. It's not of works. It is a gift. It required Faith, which was given, and it was by grace, lest anyone should boast the same thing. Gideon, I want to use you, but I got I to gotta do it my way. I'm going to use you. I'm going to win. It's going to work. You will rejoice. It's going to be my power, not yours. It's going to be my plan, not yours. It's going to be my glory, not yours. And God looks to you, and he looks to me, and he says, hey, it's by grace you've been saved. Did you know the heaven's going to be so legit? Heaven is going to be so legit, okay? You're going to be so surprised to be there, just so you know. You're, ah, 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 ah. And then you're going to see your friends and other people, ah, 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 and we're all going to be doing the same thing. I'm here. You're here. They're here. What? Nobody's going to be like, yeah, for sure. Didn't you see what I was doing? I was in a parade. I skateboarded from Walmart to Dutch Bros. Nobody gets in because of what they've done. That's just not the way it works. It is not the way it works. It is not because of what you've done. It's all of it. He's so loving. He's so kind and so good. He says, oh, I'm going to pack this place out. I'm going to pack this place out, and I'm going to bring rebels and losers and scumbags and scaredy cats and runners and quitters and every failures. I'm going to 
hack this place out and I'm going to change them and transform them. And before they get to heaven, I'm going to use them to display my kindness so then more people will get excited about heaven because I want them to know that I can do anything to anybody. Last night I was online, I looked up some uh, really amazing sculptures. And there's this sculpture of this boot and it looked just like a boot with the the tongue hanging out, just perfect sculpture. Couldn't believe it. There's one of Darth Vader, looked just like Darth Vader's head. So perfect, like, whoa. And there was this one, uh, particularly one of Elvis. It looked just like Elvis. I've never met Elvis, but it looked just like him. And, and, and there's these sculptures, but what made them so incredible is that they were sculptures that were done on the tip of a lead pencil. And so it was a lead pencil with micro vision. You could see the clarity. So, uh, so and I, it's amazing. And when you understand what God can do, what God has done, it's not just a simple sculpture, but it's an amazing process that God has been completing and doing in your life because he loves you because that's who he is. It's just the way it is because he loves to be with you and has nothing to do with you. How many of you guys feel like God's sculpting you right now? Hey, he is. Look at verse 10. It says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That word workmanship is poema. It's where we get our word poem. For we are his poem, workmanship, his project, his sculpture. And right now, God is doing something in you right now in order to make you different than you are. We all pretty much innately kind of want to be different than we are. But we don't have a lot of power, strength to do it. You know what I'm saying? You ever been there before? I'm going to lose this weight. I'm going to learn that language. I'm going to stop this. I'm going to start that. When? Tomorrow? <laughs> Tomorrow. Okay, on the second Tuesday of, you know, next month or whatever. <laughs> God, though, says, no, no, I'm actually going to cause all things to work together for my good or for your good and for my glory. And you are my workmanship. I'll tell you what. Not only does God save us from the wrath to come, we were children of wrath. He saved us. Oh, okay, listen, that's great. But when you got saved, he began to then change you from the inside out, and he's not done yet. And he's crafting within you his own special poema, his own poem. Each of your DNA structures is different. Your story's different than my story. And God's not done with you yet, and he's carving in you and possibly carving on you something great. Okay. Did you know that if you got enough Jesus to save your life, that you also got enough Jesus to change your life? That's good news right there. If he saved your soul, he can change your life. He can work that project in you, and he's shaping you and shaping me, stretching us all. Why? I'm just going to end with this thought. He wants to be with you. He wants to use you to display his kindness. What do we do now? What do we do today? How do we live this out? Look at verse 10. Let's read it one more time, and we're, we'll respond by taking communion and celebrating today. It says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Oh, this is exciting, that God would call you out of darkness into marvelous light, breathe in you new life, and translate you from death to life. Why? Well, to hang out with you to enjoy you, to truly experience fellowship at the table. We're going to fellowship at sunsets and driving in your car. Why? To display his kindness like you do on Instagram and Facebook. He just wants to use you. It's not by 
works. It's by grace, and he's done so to sculpt something great, but he's done so in order that you might walk in works that he beforehand has planned. Most of you know my story. I'm not going to tell the whole story. But at age eight, God told, told me I was going to be a pastor. He didn't ask me, hey, Luke, I know you haven't made all your decisions yet. I was curious. No. He told me, you're gonna. I said, la, 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 la. Really, I ran, ran hard for 12 years straight. At age eight, I started running from the Lord. Here we are. Here we are. And there has been things that I've been able to just walk in, just show up. And this today is a fulfillment of God's preordained works that he said, you're going to walk in this. And he has declared the same over you and I. There are things that you have not yet done. <laughs> and you're going to do them. I'm going to sculpt you. I'm going to shape you. I'll, I feel like a cracked pot though, Lord. Perfect. Just follow my lead. Give me the glory. I'm going to use you and dispense you and display you. Here's the deal. Let me tell you about works. I need you to get this. Okay, because we're saved by grace, not by works. God doesn't need your works, but the world does. Do you realize that? Okay, God doesn't need your love, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, and self-control. He doesn't need that. The world does. The world needs you as a Christian to co-op with God and say, okay, Lord, you got some good works for me to do? I ran for 12 years from God's good works for me. You know how that gets you. You know where that takes you. And when I submitted to the Lord, I said, okay, I'll do it your way. Do you have any good works at all? Anything for me to do then? And as I submitted to the Lord there on January 6, 1999, did you know that when I submitted to the Lord on January 6, 1999, to the ministry that he had called me to 12 years earlier, I said, no, 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 no. And when I finally said yes, did you know that I became an assistant high school youth pastor 12 seconds after I repented? <laughs> 12 seconds. Okay, Lord, my way is weird. My way got me in a lot of trouble. My way is gross. Lord, can I try your way now? I'll go your way. If there's any room left on the team for me, anything you want me to do at all, tap, tap, tap on the shoulder. Luke, would you consider being a high school youth pastor? Luke, would you consider helping out in the ministry? What? Here's the deal. God has stuff for you to walk in right now. He has things that are not yet explored. Right now, as you give your life to the Lord and say, right on, right on. Lord, just sculpt the way. Surprise somebody. Surprise me. Lord, let my light so shine before the world that they would see my good, you say it, works and glorify my Father in heaven. Jesus commanded Matthew chapter five. Lord, may works, intentional works of kindness and generosity. Did you know that anything you do, by the way, can I just set you free right now? Because you guys can all be workmen for the Lord today. Did you know that anything you do sacrificially, obediently, by grace and through his power, not your own, for your family today, for your, your, your countrymen, for your employers or for your employees, anything you do for the person driving next to you, anything you do with God on your mind and the spirit in your heart, you say, I'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna let the fruit of the spirit come out of me. I'm gonna be loving to my spouse, kind to my kids, forgiving to my enemies. I'm gonna, you're walking in good works right away. A lot of us think, oh, good work. I must have to go to Tibet. Maybe that's it. Oh, I gotta go on that mission trip. Gotta do that good work. And maybe so. Maybe so. But right now, today, walking in tandem with the Lord, okay, as his poema, as his sculpture, God is working in you the very fruit of the Holy Spirit that glorifies him and not yourself. 
He saved you for this reason. He saved you for this purpose. I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, we thank you so much that you have included us in your story. It's crazy. Every story in the Bible shows your kindness to include, your kindness to share, your kindness to forgive. Every story. And so, Lord, here we are, South Beach Church, 2016, May 1st. And, Lord, we agree with your planning, your creativity, your love, your power. And we, Lord, say to you, be our God, we'll be your poema. We'll be your poem. We'll let you do what you gotta do. You'll get the glory, Lord. We actually have nothing good in and of ourselves to offer except ourselves. And so if you're here today and you would say, you know what, I just need God to take over. I need God to take the wheel of my life. I need God to be preeminent and to be president and to be prevalent in everything I do. And you would be willing to just submit to God today and say, God, would you use my life for good works? Would you change everything about me? Would you just right now, if that's you, you want a new start, maybe being saved for the first time, maybe just repenting and recommitting your life this time. Would you just say, yes, I worship the Lord. Just raise your hand and say, yep, I worship the Lord and I submit to him. I give it all to him. I let him be God of my life. I let him be the savior of my life. I let him be the author of my life. Just raise your hand to him. Just you and him worship him. He's right here with you. He's right with you. I'm not looking. He is. Even when we were dead in trespasses, running away, confused by the world, tricked by Satan, hurt by our own flesh. Oh, what a mess. Even then, though, even then, God came after you. Even then, though, God said, I can use that. Gideon, as you hide, as you fearfully quit. Oh, I see who you are in Christ. I see the potential of a life surrendered, of steps obeyed, of power given. I can see what I can do through you. It's for my glory. It's for your joy. Raise your hand to the Lord right now and let him take over. Let him take your life because he gave you his. And Jesus, I pray for transformation power, for life to be given today, life in Jesus' name, for purpose of heart, Lord, for order of steps, for joy of the journey. In Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you. We need you so desperately. And as we come to the table, Lord, we know how this all is possible, how it's all been paid for through Christ. This isn't just a wishful thinking. Christ paid for the sins of the world. He paid for our debts. And then he invited us into his riches, his victory, his resurrection power. So Jesus, what we do now at the table seals it as we celebrate and proclaim your death until you come. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. 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 Would you all stand with me? And when you're ready to take Believer's Communion, come down the center aisles and take your communion back the side aisles. There's people on my right and left to pray for you during this time as well. Have someone lay hands on you and pray for you as you surrender your life to the Lord and give God the glory and give God your future and give God your fears as he uses you. Come to the table when you're ready.